Read along with me if you would, please. Now, the children of Reuben and the children of Gad had a very great multitude of livestock. And when they saw the land of Yetzir, the land of Gilead, that indeed that region was a place for livestock, the children of Gad and the children of Reuben came and spoke to Moses, to Eliezer, the priest, and to the leaders of the congregation, saying, you should be thankful, I'm the one reading this, my favorite of those is Shabam. It's a place where I think a lot of our children could spend. The country in which the Lord defeated before the congregation of Israel is a land for livestock. And your servants have livestock. Therefore, they said, if we have found favor in your sight, let this land be given to your servants as a possession. Do not take us over the Jordan. Moses said to the children of Gad and to the children of Reuben, Shall your brethren go to war while you sit here? Now why will you discourage the heart of the children of Israel from going over into the land in which the Lord has given them? Thus your fathers did when I sent them away from Kadesh Barnea to see the land. From when they went up to the valley of Eschol and saw the land, they discouraged the heart of the children of Israel so that they did not go into the land which the Lord had given them. So the Lord's anger was aroused on that day, and he swore an oath, saying, Surely none of the men who come up from Egypt from twenty years old and above shall see the land on which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because they have not wholly followed me. Except Caleb, the son of Yephunneh, the Kenizzite, and Yeshua, the son of Nun, for they have fully followed the Lord. So the Lord's anger was aroused against Israel, and he made them wander in the wilderness 40 years until all the generation that had done evil in the sight of the Lord was gone. And look, you have risen in your father's place, a brood of sinful men, to increase still more the fierce anger of the Lord against Israel. For if you turn away from following him, he will once again leave them in the wilderness, and you will destroy all these people. Then they came near to him and said, we will build sheepfolds here for our livestock and cities for our little ones. But we ourselves will be armed, ready to go before the children of Israel until we have brought them to their place. And our little ones will dwell in the fortified cities because of the inhabitants of the land. We will not return to our homes until every one of the children of Israel has received his inheritance. For we will not inherit with them on the other side of the Jordan and beyond because our inheritance has fallen to us on this eastern side of the Jordan. Then Moses said to them, If you do this thing, if you arm yourself before the Lord for the war, and all your armed men cross over the Jordan before the Lord until he has driven out his enemies from before him, and the land is subdued before the Lord, then afterward you will return and be blameless before the Lord and before Israel. And this land shall be your possession before the Lord. You kind of get an idea what the repeated phrase is there. But if you do not do so, then take note, you have sinned against the Lord. And be sure, your sin will find you out. Build cities for your little ones and folds for your sheep. And do what is preceded, I'm sorry, do, excuse me. <clears throat> and do what proceeded out of your mouth. 
And the children of Gad and the children of Reuben spoke to Moses, saying, Your servants will do as my Lord commands. Our little ones, our wives, our flocks, and all our livestock will be there in the cities of Gilead. But your servants will cross over every man armed for war before the Lord to battle just as my Lord says. So Moses commanded concerning them to Eleazar the priest, to Yeshua the son of Nun, and to the chief fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel. And Moses said to them, If the children of Gad and the children of Reuben cross over the Jordan with you, every man armed for battle before the Lord, and the land is subdued before you, then you shall give them the land of Gilead as a possession. But if they do not cross over armed with you, they shall have possessions among you in the land of Canaan. Then the children of Gad and the children of Reuben answered, saying, As the Lord has said to your servants, so we will do. We will cross over armed before the Lord until the land of Canaan, but the possession of our inheritance shall remain with us on this side of the Jordan. So Moses gave the children of Gad, the children of Reuben, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, the kingdom of Sihon, king of the Amorites, and the kingdom of Og, king of Bashan, the land with its cities within the borders, the cities and its surrounding country. And the children of Gad built Dibon and Atorot and Aroror, Atroth and Shofan and Yetzer and Yogbeha, Beth Nimra and Beth Haran, fortified cities and folds for sheep. And the children of Reuben built Hezbon and Eliela and Kereathain, Nibo and Baal Meon, their names being changed, in Shibma, and they gave other names to the cities which they built. And the children of Machir, the son of Manasseh, went to Gilead and took it and disposed, or dispossessed, the Amorites who were in it. Moses gave Gilead to Machir, the son of Manasseh, and he dwelt in it. Also Yair, the son of Manasseh, went and took its small towns and called it Havot Ma'er, which means villages of Yair. <coughs> and Noba, which by the way, his name means barking. Who names their child that? went and took Kenneth and its villages, and he called it Noba, barking, after its own name. Obviously, somewhere at the end of the overground line, right? On the eastern side of London. Well, there you go. All right, pray with me, would you please? Lord, thank you for the privilege of what you have here and how you're going to speak to us now in these next minutes. Lord, I pray that our hearts will be ready to receive everything you want to teach us today. And Lord, I pray that you would minister so profoundly, that you would speak so fluent us, that you would draw us in and captivate us by your word, so every one of us would be so drawn in that we would hear your voice today. Lord, that you would minister right where we need to be ministered to, that you would, Lord, just do something so beautiful and so profound and so perfect, that we'd have so much fun in your word, that we would really hear you speak to us personally in our heart of hearts, as well as corporately as a family. So we commit this time to you, Lord. Every minute of it, redeem it, I pray. Jesus, in your name. Amen. I would say today, as I would any, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the scriptures and let the Bible have the final say. And this is where we start this. See, if we have no reference to this, what we hear is a group of people that are like, can we have this? And that's about as far as we get. Well, here's the problem. 
that God had promised all the way back in Exodus 3, that there was a specific land that he had ordained for them. And let's even go back before that, all the way to Genesis 12, when God had promised Abraham, at that point Abram, that he would be the father of multitudes, and in that, that he had a place specifically for him. Now, ultimately, the kingdom that God would promise would go all the way into Iran today. But the initial land that God had promised was a land that we even know today as Israel. Now, granted, a much larger area than Israel is known as Israel today. You probably may not know this, but there was a strip of ground that was so small. I mean, you could still fit. I remember as far as California was concerned, you could fit 22 Israels in California alone. That gives you an idea of the size of Israel. It's a very small area. Before 1967, there was an area that was six miles wide in part of Israel, to give you an idea. And when God promised this land, he said, but I'm not going to give it to you now because the people that are there right now, it isn't time because the fullness of the sin of the Amorites is not yet complete. God knew that there would be a time when the people's hearts would get so hard that they would never turn to him. He says, that would be the time to take this. Until then, hang out. Don't worry, I've got a plan for you. Now, ultimately, as we know, that he told them by confirming this in Genesis 15, that he says that your people will be a people in a land that is not their own. They don't belong there. And they will afflict them. But in the fourth generation, they will come out with much spoils, which sounds a bit like a riddle. Wouldn't you agree? It's sort of one of those things where you kind of read it a little bit better than a fortune cookie. And you go, I wonder what this means. You'll go in as a slave. You'll come out as a rich man. And just like God promised four generations from Abraham as the tribes, because it'll be Abraham and then Isaac and then Jacob and then the 12 tribes. Of those 12 tribes, it is important to note, 12 tribes were just 12 sons that each had a lot of kids. Of those 12 sons, those 12 sons were fathered by one man but four women. One wife that he wanted, a wife that he got by bait and switch, because initially he had worked seven years for a girl named Rachel or Rachel, but at that time when he was to consummate the marriage, apparently things must have been rather dark. Well, dad says to the older daughter, Leah, go in there and pretend to be your sister. Any of you girls like that idea? Dad's saying, you have to act like your sister. Pretend to be your sister or I'll never get you married off. Could you imagine? And with that, then she has to go in there and pretend to be Rachel. And as she goes in there and he consummates the marriage, he's legally married to her now. And then he kind of, then, you know, that's one of those places where you kind of have to check the package before you, you know, actually buy it. Well, he goes the next day and he's like, hey, 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 what's this? And the father, or the, the father of the girl, his uncle, by the way, is like, oh, he's like, oh, listen, we can't, we can't marry off the younger one first. He goes, but I'll tell you what, work with me, work for me some more, and then I'll give you the other one too. So it'll be like a package deal. Now, doesn't that sound messed up to you? Well, understand, it's messed up in any culture. And understand the idea of it is there was always a girl that knew she was going to play second fiddle to her sister. That she was only married to the same guy as her sister. What guy in his right mind married two rivaling sisters? But in all of that, God knew the heart of this girl that wanted to be loved, Leah. And she starts having children. Her first child, she says, Reuben, see a son. Now he'll love me. All that she wanted was to be loved. Nothing 
Second son. Clearly he must be nearer. She's having children. Second son, Shema'on. God has heard. He has heard my cries, my afflictions. God, I just want to be loved. Nothing. Third son, Levi, which means attached. Now my husband will be attached to me. You could hear the heart of this woman just wanting to be loved by her man. Nothing. Fourth son. Now there'll be praise. Judah, from which we get the term Jew today. Judah. Ultimately, after four children, still no love. Rachel, realizing that she's not having any children, starts tossing her maidservant into the action. Now, this, I mean, this thing, doesn't this sound like something that would be on, like, daytime soaps kind of thing? Like, one of those things where you're like, mm, shouldn't watch that, but probably will. Well, that's the idea here. She says, you know, oh, man of God, here, take my maidservant. And he's like, oh, okay. And with that, then she has a couple children. And as that starts to happen, Leah realizes she's not having any more kids. So she's like, well, you know what? I've got a maidservant, too. Why don't you try that? Bilhan Zilpa. Zilpa now has two children. Still under the confines, if you will, of Leah. And the oldest of them is Gad. Look, a troop comes. That's what his name means, troop. Look at the troop I have now. And then finally I'll be happy, Asher. At that point now, God starts opening up the womb of Rachel. She has a son. His son's name is Joseph. And now you can see almost Leah starting to panic because now there's a son born to the woman her husband really loves. She'll wind up having two more children. Leah will have six of the twelve children of the tribes of Israel. But God heard her cry. Because when the Messiah was to be born, it wasn't going to come from Rachel. It was going to come from the girl who wanted to be loved. God knew. It was from Judah. But in all of that, back to, back to our story, Rachel's sons, and I know this is a lot of kids to keep up with, I hope you're following me, but Rachel's kids, the oldest of which then is Joseph. And then she says, give me another kid or I'll die. And you can see Jacob looking, going, like, that's my, how am I supposed to do that? But she will have, ironically, have another child and die giving birth to him. But she was going to call son of sorrow, but they changed his name to son of my right hand, Benjamin. Now, because there are now 12 children underneath this one father, Jacob, who will get the name changed to Israel, he favors of all of them, though number 11 is going to be this son from Rachel. He looks at him like he's the firstborn because it's the firstborn of the son he loves. Does that make sense so far? The oldest of which, I remind you, see a son, Reuben, gets slighted. And part of what he does is he seeks to sleep with one of his dad's concubines, which means dad's got more than four on the floor. Pardon me for saying. And with that, then, it's his way of sort of trying to sneak and get a little bit of authority back, and he doesn't get it. He winds up getting cursed. By Genesis 49, he says, You know, though you are my pride and my excellence, as a son is my firstborn, because what you tried to do, you will, you'll never be the firstborn. He wasn't in any ways. You'll never really excel. Sad as it is. So the oldest of Leah, no, doesn't have that authority. The oldest of Leah's 
maidservant will be Gad. You follow me so far? That won't play important in just a moment. But then on this side, Rachel's oldest has two sons. And when they're to be blessed by Grandpa Israel, he puts his hands ironically in the wrong place, according to the father. And he blesses the younger to have authority over the older. The older, ironically, is Menasha. These are the oldest. The oldest of all of them, Reuben. The oldest of Leah's maidservant, Gad. I'm sorry, yeah, Gad. The oldest of Joseph's sons, Menasha. But none of them will have a position of authority. Does that make sense? It's interesting. Those are the three guys that are here. Do you realize that? And these are the three that are promised, as is all, that God says, I'm going to bring you into a land flowing with milk and honey, a place of abundance, a place of overflow, a a place of great fruitfulness. And we know that. We know that as Christians. We know that there is a place that God has us at that's supposed to be inconquerable joy. That's a place that's supposed to be untouchable peace that surpasses our understanding. A place where no matter what the world does, we are impervious like a fortress to the destruction of the world around us. That we stand and when everything else goes down, we're still standing. We know there's supposed to be that place. And in his abundance is the fullness of joy. We know the verses. But inside, somewhere inside, where it's supposed to be happening, it's not. And then there's the struggle. What's wrong with me? What's wrong with it? Why, what do I need to do differently? What am I embracing? What am I not embracing? What's wrong? If you've ever been there, then you know why this chapter is so important. Remember the man who was wealthy and he came up to Jesus and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What do I have to do? Jesus goes, how are you doing with the commandments? And he's like, you know, I'm doing actually pretty awesome with the commandments. I'm actually doing them all. Jesus is like, attaboy. Yes, but if you really want to take this to its rightful end, the word perfect, telestai, telecho, to its rightful end, sell everything and follow me. He didn't say sell it all and give it to me. The point wasn't that the money was supposed to go anywhere specifically. It was that this stuff, you, can't, you won't be able to take it with you. It's too much baggage. Leave it behind follow me now i don't know if you realize the privilege that jesus just gave this guy because he turned in and said i want you I'm, I'm giving you the opportunity to come follow me now and the guy walks away sad because he has so much that he thought to lose and that becomes our problem here as we move into our text you see back in numbers 14 we had already gotten there there were over two million people we had crossed the the red sea we had seen the the entire egyptian army drowned in the red sea We've watched God provide for us miraculously. And he's led us now. He's set us apart. He's given us the law. Beautiful things are happening. And then he takes us to the border of the Jordan. And right in front of us, on the other side of this river, that flows, it's basically between the distance of this space right here and that door. That's as big as the river is. So think about what you could see on the other side of that wall. That's the place that God has for us. And we sent in spies, and they were like, it's everything God said it was. It's rich and bountiful, and it's beautiful and fruitful, and it is amazing like nothing we've ever seen. Nothing we've ever seen. But then of those 12 12 spies, 
10 of which then say, yeah, but the battle's too big. We're nothing compared to them because they took God out of the equation. And at that point, you're like, it's just not worth the fight. And there'll be some of us here that we know there are battles to be fought. And because there are battles to be fought, people that we love, and in its, in inside, the stuff, the, the temptations and the drives and the lusts and the passions that are inside of us that need to be tamed or at least surrendered and harnessed towards the Lord. Now, you know what? I don't care what it is. It's just not worth the fight. And a whole generation walks out in the wilderness and dies. Or they'll blame it on their children. They'll blame it on God. They'll blame it on whatever they want to blame it on. And it's a good enough excuse to appease, (coughs) excuse me, or to salve or to somewhat numb their conscience. But in the end of it all, it's just a flat out lie. It's just not worth the struggle. And now here we are 40 years later, 38 years later, looking at this place and going, we got another shot at this. Everything that God promised is over there. Fruitfulness, overflow, absolute everything that he wants to give us on earth here. Because it can't just be heaven. Because if it were the case, then once they got there, there would never be sin. But there's all kinds of problems once you get there too. Because we're there. He's like, no, I'm going to give you that chance again. You know what's interesting? is that some of the people here now say there's a different thing. There's a different attitude. See, before this point, when we looked, everybody was like, I'm just fearful. Look at it. I was a slave. I don't know. Fight. Though we'd fought a battle before this point and we were victorious. We'd seen all of that. Now we're looking at all of this and we're going, whoa, 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 whoa. Those guys are like real fighters. You know, hey, it was one thing when some like drunk guy kind of came up to me on a bus. But this is like a cage fighter, man. I'm like, I don't know about this. And they're gigantic. Do you see how big they are? But two of them, Joshua and Caleb, are like, yeah, but have you seen how big God is? You really think you're supposed to fight that? God's supposed to fight that. You're supposed to follow him. But this time around, and and look, if that's you, may God give you the faith today to say, hey, I'll take on that thing, and I've already defeated it. I've defeated death. I've defeated sin. What's left? Will you follow me? But I've never been there. I don't know what that's like. And God's like, I know. That's why it takes faith. Hey, there are spies, people that have been there and that say, you should see the fruit. You should see how great it is. You should see how great it is. But sending guys in, I'm just a rep. Just one of those spies that says, hey, look, why don't you come with me? But there's a whole other batch of people, two and a half tribes here. Hey, they were firstborn probably felt like they were very entitled to an awful lot of the world. Because the firstborn got an awful lot of worldly blessings beyond the other, uh, the other children. But hear me. With the first group, the battle was too big. With this one, it wasn't about well, what we had to fight over on the other side. To be honest, in this case, or what we could have possibly lost on the other side. In this case, it's actually what we could gain on this. And that becomes the problem here. As I look at this and I think, wait a minute now. Do I want to be known as one of the guys on the other side? One way or the other, I'm going to be known as the guy on the other side by someone. Which side do I want to be known by? Do I want to be known as the guy that's full on seeking to OD on Christ? Overboard, fanatic, 
where I'm actually seeking to love my enemies. I'm actually seeking to do things the way that God calls me to and surrender. Or am I to say, hey, this is good enough, this is good enough. But it's not over the Jordan. It's not where God said, this is the place. You're like, but this may not be the place, but it's good enough. And I can't help but think in Genesis 13, when Abraham had to separate from his nephew Lot, he says, you can pick. And they were shepherds, and that was the problem, is they, they had shepherds were arguing because of the land. And it was, it was, hear me on this, it was Lot that looked, and he looked in the valley, and he said, look at how lush that area is. From eye surface, from the surface, it looks great. I'll take that, which happened to be the valley of Sodom. He had no idea how it was slated to go down. He couldn't see it. My challenge for you today is to challenge me and then to challenge you to live life across the Jordan, to go for it with everything. Are you going to make enemies? Yes. Even from the tribes, there will be people that will say, oh, that's that guy on the other side. Yeah. Yes, I am. But I I, I don't want to get something partial and think that's good enough. And the Lord has a trajectory for every one of us. A trajectory that is so much more than just, well, you're mine, you're going to heaven, that's good enough. I want to conform you into my image. I want to transform you into a place where you wouldn't even recognize who you were. And everything that I have to promise you is there. Some of it you'll get in route. But we have a victory here in route. It's not the destination, but it is a victory in route. And for some, that's good enough. Here's the way it looks. Addicted 12 years to cocaine. Problems with whatever it is. Fighting. Problems with confusion, gossip, relationship after relationship. Always empty, never having enough. Constantly wanting to run. Some are runners. Some are fighters. You're like, God, just get me out of this. Get me out of this loneliness where I have to be with someone. Get me out of this addiction to pornography. Get me out of this addiction to fighting. Get me out of the, the cocaine or the alcohol or the, the scene that I'm in or the where I know it's empty, but I constantly go to it like a stupid dog God, get me out of it. And, and, and God does. And you're like, well, this is good enough. God's like, no, it's not just about not being horrible. It's not just about not being empty. I want to fill you now. It's not just the absence of all the bad. It's God wants to use you for good now. That's on the other side of the Jordan. On this side, the best is maybe we're not a blessing. I'm sorry, we're not a curse. We're just not a great blessing. Hear me. The best secular music says nothing. Think about it. It doesn't make you want to go have sex or do drugs or whatever or go commit a crime or whatever. It doesn't make you want to be more selfish. The worst Christian music says nothing. It doesn't make you want to do any of those things either. 
Do I want anything that I call ministry on this side of the Jordan or that side? Do I want it to be a blessing? It has to be a blessing harnessed to eternity, not just to the temporary. Giving poor people food is great. That's still this side of the Jordan. Giving poor people food and telling them about Jesus is that side of the Jordan. Giving cold people clothing, that's this side of the Jordan. Giving them that way in Jesus' name. And bold about it is that side. You say, well, some places won't let us in. At first, until you hold your stick to your guns and then they realize that you're okay, you're okay. Well, if you're really serious about this, we've never had anyone so serious about making sure Jesus is a part of it before. And I'm like, how sad is that? And then we start looking around and we wonder how much is on this side of the Jordan. Where you go, this is good enough. It's temporary. Look at the ground is green. That's temporary. If there's one thing that God says is temporary in Scripture, isn't it grass? Man's glory is like grass. It shoots up and by the time the day is done, it withers and fades. And what they're looking at is something so temporary. They're like, that's good enough. Oh, so look at us. It's perfect. It's perfect. Lots of ground. We've got lots of cows. Bada boom, bada bing. It's perfect. There's no eternal view to it. There's no, nowhere in this do we read, by the way, that anybody sought the Lord on this. Well, I kind of eyeballed it, and this is what I saw. The children of Reuben and the children of Gad had a lot of livestock. That's what the first verse says. So they looked at a land. And as they look at the land, by the way, that, by the way, the word Yetzer, the land of Yetzer, means helpful. And they kind of look at this land and they're like, this seems perfect for us. So they go to, to Moses and they say, Moses, if we've found favor in your sight, don't take us over the Jordan. This is good enough. Hey, by the way, can I say, you can go to all kinds of churches that will be this side of the Jordan churches. And I'm not telling you who is and who isn't, and I'm telling you we're the only other side of the Jordan church, but I can tell you that's where I desire to be. It should be attached to eternity. You should be able to get a view of eternity so that when you see the fat get fatter and the rich get richer and the oppressors get stronger and you go, I'm going mental, what is this? God says, let's look at it from an eternal perspective. And you go like, oh, that looks so different. That's what Asaph said in Psalm 73. In Numbers 14, we said the battle's too much to lose. In Numbers 32, we said, yeah, but here I have too much to gain. And you can go and learn how to make sure that you have good finances and how to be a good citizen and how to be a nice person and make sure that your kid aren't, kids aren't criminals in theory or whatever the case is. But in the end of it all, it doesn't deal with the problem that we are eternally people desperately in need of a Savior. It's like putting cough syrup in a person when they need to be checked for cancer. Moses' response, by the way, is very eye-opening, by the way. Take a look at it with me in verse 6. Moses said to the children of Gad and the children of Reuben, notice now while we're Gad gets first billing. I'm wondering if they were the more vocal. Shall your brothers go to war while you sit here? That's where he goes with this. He doesn't look at this and say, are you kidding me? What's wrong with you? Don't you know how good the other side is? His concern was for the other people. 
He says, why will you discourage the heart of the children of Israel from going over the land in which the Lord has given them? And let me warn you. If you are a this side of the Jordan person and claiming to be Christian, let me warn you, part of your non-ministry will be you'll discourage other people from crossing. And that's what Moses is pointing out here. Don't you realize the more you say this is good enough, the more you tell other people who think the other land is what's for them, you tell them, no, you don't need to be there. And the reason you say that is because if they really want to go over there, you are actually convicted by your conscience. And you hear the Holy Spirit say, hey, you should be over there too. And you're like, no, 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 no. You don't have to be that crazy for Jesus. You don't. Re- oh, come on. Really? Oh, that's for like new believers then may I be a new believer for the rest of my life that way. It's the same way that when you see a couple and they're holding hands and staring at each other in the eyes and someone goes, you must be newlyweds. Because clearly people don't do that after a while when they're married. Do you really want that to be said of you? I don't. Because don't you realize that the moment you're like, this is good enough. You know, look at When our life was all about the wrong things. And then God started taking those away. And we got to that place where we didn't know who in the world we were anymore. And he goes, now I want to give you a ministry. And you're like, nah. Can I just not be all of that? Can I just add a little bit of the bad enough and I'm going to stay right here? Up to this point, my whole life is, is it permissible? Is it okay to do this? Is it okay to do that? And that's what governs me. But the Lord starts moving me in this trajectory and I get to this place where I start asking, but does it bless anyone? And that's a whole different place to be. Can I be honest with you? There are many people who will never get there. Because it's the place where you actually start putting other people before yourself. And that's a pretty rough thing. Now look at If you listen to this and you're like, yeah, whatever, that's your, your opinion. Well, I, the, the good news in this is that I'm going to hold myself accountable to this. But I'd like, you to challenge, I'd like to challenge you to go with me on this. The first thing he says on this, though, is, listen, I want to warn you that if you want to do that, then, then stop influencing others because you're going to influence others. Are you really going to let everybody else fight those battles and you're not going to? And you're like, you know what? I'm not going to do that. I'm going to be here. I'm going to get my cush life here. I'm going to make sure I've got my right job and I'm totally set and secure. I've got my right enough, right enough money. I know how to secure. Hey, look, there's nothing wrong with a good job. But then make it a ministry. There's nothing wrong with retirement, but make it, learn how to do something with it that becomes a ministry. We're all called the full-time ministry. Just some of us will be deployed in the workplace elsewhere. He goes, don't you realize what happened 38 years ago? When we were here, there were a group of guys who looked and said that was too big of a battle. And they took a whole generation. And you know what they did with them? They made it clear that they had no interest in fully following the Lord. That's verse 11. That's our second thing. Not only do we discourage other people, discourage other people from going, but what we also do is we declare that we really don't have a heart to fully follow him. Like, you know what? Now, look, I'm not telling you everybody quit your jobs, get on government support, and then just sort of sit and pray in a church. I'm telling you, be available wherever God calls you. And you're like, Lord, what I am is a jersey, and wherever you want to put me, I'm available. Whatever that is. 
You know, whether that's I'm in Scotland or whether I'm going to get in a music store, whether that means I'm cooking somewhere in in something or whether that means I'm taking tickets. Do it in a way so that, look at if you actually live a life that says, I'm available and nothing seems to happen, you can sleep at night knowing you were available. You're on call. If your phone's on, man, and you don't have, I mean, you do not want to put your spiritual phone on do not disturb. The Lord calls and you're like, oh, I'll pretend like that didn't happen. But if we're all available, and you don't find yourself having to talk to anyone today, but you knew you were available, you could sleep at night. That's the point. You look, Lord, I just want to be totally yours. But what I've learned, by the way, and look at these verses. Verses 11, it says, Surely none of the men who came up from Egypt from the 20 years old and above shall see the land in which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because they have not wholly followed me, except... Caleb, the son of Yephunneh, the Kenizzite, and Joshua, the son of Nun, for they have fully followed the Lord. Don't miss this. The most common estimate of the amount of people that there were in Israel at the time were two million. Of the two million, how many fully followed the Lord? Two. So let's do the math. You know what that means? These guys were one in a million. That's what they were. And these guys were one in a million. Here's the thing. Even if there were two million people, is that an excuse for you not to be the one? And you go, well, it seems like the culture is so benign and so blasé and so cool on compromise. Well, let it be cool on compromise. I want to be the one in the million. I want to be the Joshua. I want to be the Caleb. So that when God, by the way, God knows those guys. He sent them a party. He says, there's this generation. Then there's those two guys. Look at those guys. Man, those guys are the one in a million. When everyone else says, no, we could do this, and this is okay, and this is cool, and this is normal. They're like, I don't want normal. Normal's not good. I want awesome. I want good. People go, what's good? I want good. Good isn't good enough. I want awesome. Or can I dare say, awful. Full of awe. Don't give me just some. I want to be at that place where I can actually say I spent it all on the field. The place where I look and I say, you know what, whatever it was, whatever it was, I didn't want it to be like when God says I have something crazy and I get excited. Ooh, really? It's crazy? If you did that with food, I'd get excited. I've got something that's like really crazy. I think we just killed it outside. I'm not sure, but we cooked it. I'm like, awesome. I was always that guy. Hey, let's do something really crazy. Like what? I don't know. I'll tell you when we get there. All right. How much more so when we're talking about following the Lord? Hey, for the two million people that were saying, come on, guys, chill out. You could do a little bit of that, do a little bit of that. What's the difference? Ease up a little bit. Can I at least be one of those guys that's going to get in your face and go, come on, who's with me? And if there's one more guy that still makes two, then we'll be two and two, and two million. Because it should be at least one more guy that goes, hey, remember what you said? Remember what you said? Let's do it. Chico. There's a family. uh, They had these family conferences, uh, retreats. We got kind of coerced into one by my sister. She said, don't worry. Because my wife, like camping, unless it involves like a hotel, is not like that's, that's, that's as rugged as she wants to get. And we, oh, don't worry, they're like cabins. You'll be fine. 
What a cabin was, was, a, was basically an event tent, if that makes sense, with flaps that weren't fully tied in because the, stra- the straps were broken, and weather that was 13 below zero Celsius, with a lovely wind chill. There was, I mean, by that point, you could have had a sumo lay on top of you and you still would have been cold. And we were in there and these things that were like tacos, shoved like this. My shoulders were a bit wide, so I'm kind of like, okay, this is going to be perfect. I love this. This is great. Yeah, this is great. And my sister, bless her, there was like 13 children under like six. And it was my wife and I. And then, I'm like, you hate me. I know you hate me. Not that I don't like children, but when you're trying to get to sleep at night, it's amazing. One crying starts the avalanche. You know how that works. But I just remember I get up and I'm like, I got to go do something fun. And I grab a bunch of guys. I'm like, who's with me? Who wants to just go do something? What? I don't know. Let's grab things that slide and let's see what happens. We got to the top of the, the highest hill. We didn't even know where it was. It was in like Lucerne or one of those places where it's like covered in snow. And, and, and I get up there and I have this inner tube from like something that was like a monster truck. It's bigger than I am, like one of those things. I'm like holding this giant donut like this. I'm like, this will be perfect. But the little thing that you blow it up, the spout, that's like, like the length of my arm. You know, it's like one of those long things. And I'm like, let's, and we get to the top of this thing. And I just, I, I see this, and I'm, and I'm like, who wants to go down? And everyone kind of looks like, well, I don't know. I'm like, me! And I'm like, whoop! And I just jump down on this, this, this big inner tube. And I'm sliding on this thing. And we don't even know what's at the bottom, right? And it doesn't matter. It's just snow, and it's cool. And I'm like, woo! We're all losers. You guys don't know what's going on. Woo! Right? And, we get, and you hit this one spot where you, and it's like this, like this cliff, and you go, Poof. You ever have those moments in life where everything gets slow motion? Here's one of those, right? Because at that particular moment, my inner tube had commitment issues, and it was leaving me. And it was sort of one of those, no, and I'm like reaching with my feet and my arms. Anything's going to grab a hold of this thing. I don't even see where that little spout thing is. And then we hit the ground, baboosh, which means I go, and then you get back on, and then we get to this point, and it goes, and the whole inner tube stops, and I fly off of it. You know what was at the end of it? A pond, a frozen pond. And you know what I discovered? That you can hit enough inertia, enough momentum, that your head can crack the pond. And you can get in so deep that your neck down can get under the water and your legs can dangle up like this. Do you know what else I discovered? When a pond freezes, there's this much space of air. Glory to God. <laughs> now, because I had made that discovery, guess who hadn't? Every guy at the top of the hill. So what I heard was, <laughs> it sounded like crying. I'm like, oh, and it's guys falling down the hill, running down the hill because they think I'm dead. Because I'm, I'm literally head under the frozen pond on my shoulders with my feet up like this. It was awesome. And I've also learned one other thing. Going into the pond wasn't half as painful as guys trying to pull you out of the pond because you had to perfectly position your chin, but there's no way to say, hold on a second, guys, hold on a second. You're like, ah, oh, ah, oh, ah, oh, ah. And we come popping out of that thing. And I'm like, yes, let's do it again. And they're all like crying. These guys with like beards that like shoot things with and kill like deer with their bare hands. I'm like, oh, I thought you were dead, man. And then the Lord goes, now, how are you going to follow me? I'm going to follow you normal. God's like, what? I made you like that? 
and that's the way you're going to be now on me? How exactly? Now, some of you related to that story, and that's why I told it. And if you can relate to that story on whatever level, and then you want to say, I'm just going to sit and be normal? Really? Does that work with you? I'm a visionary, then be one for Christ. I'm a hard worker, then be one for Christ. I'm a social person, well, be it for Christ. Whatever it is, when you give it to the Lord, it's amazing. I bake pies, bake them for Christ. You go, how does that bless anyone? Cherry. Anyways, all right. (laughs) That's on tape, isn't it? All right, so. Moses says in verse 14, look at if this is what you're going to do, you're going to make a whole new generation wander and they're going to die. That's where this influence goes. Which tells me, listen, 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 as we wrap this around to a sort of to the jugular on all of this. Your influence can take down a whole generation. Could you imagine? And your influence isn't, let's all go out there and just radically sin and tell everyone we love Satan. This is, let's just tell the Christians that they need to mellow out. Tell the doctors to leave their medicine. Tell the ambulance drivers, you don't need to get that call. Tell the people at 999 to take a nap. Because you realize that's what God calls us to be. If we're the only ones who actually could administer eternal cure. If the devil can't convince you there isn't a hell. If the devil can't convince you that there isn't a heaven to reckon with. Maybe he could just convince you that there isn't a hurry. And we think, don't worry, I'll get around to it. I have a daughter who's 17 that I have less than a year with. Do you know how many things that I wish I could get around to? You blink and it's done. You can't go back. There's no rewind on this. But one day my whole life's going to be before him. And I won't be able to go back. Oh, man, what a golden opportunity that was. I stood at the Jordan and said, this is good enough. So he says, listen, is that what you really want to do? Verse 16 says, then they came near to him, which tells me that I assume that they had to pull aside and have a board meeting. And they came back and they said, you know what we're going to do? We'll fight. If your concern is that these guys will fight without us, we'll fight too. Interesting, according to Numbers 26, verses 7 through 34, we'll see it also in Joshua 4, where he says it's roughly 70,000. 70,580 men joined the army from these three groups. It's a substantial loss of people if they weren't there. But he says, listen, we'll go before the children of Israel until we've brought them to their place. Then we'll come back here to our place across the Jordan. And to me, this is the craziest point of it all. Hear me. You see, 
what God makes clear is it doesn't matter what side of the Jordan you're going to be on, you're still going to get shot at. You're still going to have the battles. You're still going to fight the fights. See, the difference between life and rugby is you get tackled on the bench here. So you might as well play. Because at least if you're going to get bruised, you might as well be bruised playing, being in it. So someone says, what happened to your arm? It's in a sling. You're like, I was sitting there and a guy landed on me. Who wants to say that? You ever get an injury from something really lame and you like wish you could make up a story? I popped a rib out hopping over a little brook once at the beach. I was like, pop, what? The doctor said, what, would, what did you do? And you're like, stepping over a creek. How I, I would have loved to have wrestled an, a crocodile or been stopping a robber or something. But no, 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 no. Hop in a creek. And some of you know those things. Like, what happened to your ankle? I don't even want to tell you. I was, I was kicking a rhinoceros. It was coming after a child. I was being thrown out of a building that was on fire. And I was landing from the second story and kicking and stopping and kitchen the thing. No, I, I, I just was standing there in high heels and went, oh, that's it. Somehow you know that, right? And you watch it, man. And so, man, I don't realize how much that elevates people until you're on the train and you watch that girl try to step on. And she's, you know, she's, and I'm like, oh my goodness, that girl's almost as tall as me. And she's like, like this. And I'm like, wow, she's like underneath my rib cage. What? And I'm like, these shoes are, I'm like, how? Yeah, anyways, you get it. Please, please hear me. Here's the difference. If these guys are going to go over and fight this battle and all the ground they're going to get, none of it's going to be for them. That's the crazy part about it. So you're going to fight this battle, and you're going to get this victory, and it, and it isn't even going to be yours anymore. So you'll see this victory over a lust or over a, an addiction, or you'll see this victory over your anger or this victory over your emotions that totally run, run and rule you to where you can't think straight. And you're like, yeah, I feel like, feel like I got victory, and then at the end of it all won't even be your victory. Because you'll go back to this place over here, and on this side of the Jordan, you'll go back to that, and then it'll be that battle will happen again and again. Because the ground that's gained on the other side of the Jordan over here, the ground here that's gained, well, well, that ground, when you're there, you, the, the ground, you, you build a house on it. You live there. That's what I want to do. I want to take you forward. Man, I want, to take the, I want every victory to take you forward. Not just a victory so you can say, well, I won for this moment. And you hear that. You hear a guy and he's like, let me tell you what. I got saved in 1976, and I was delivered from alcoholism. I was alcoholism. for like 14 years, and I just dropped alcohol. I'm like, congratulations, where are you at today? Strong boast. I was just my vitamins. No, it's not your vitamins. Wouldn't you like to take the the ground and stay there? These guys, he's like, look, we're going to have to fight. And whether you like it or not, this battle is a battle you're going to need to fight. But the difference is, if you want to cross the Jordan, when you get the battle and you get it, then you get to live there. Whether you like it or not, you're going to fight it. So why not fight it for a purpose? So notice it says, well, it's our house, our homes, verse 18, our inheritance, verse 19, verse 22, your possession. Notice the difference now. There's already an us and them now, and it's you're going to be the across the Jordan people. We'll be the people on this side of the Jordan, but it's going to be before the Lord the whole time. And here's the crazy part. These people are going to actually go before the people. Here's the ironic thing. In choosing to take the place on this side of the Jordan, you are actually going to be the first people where the bullets fly. 
You are the front targets. Imagine that. You are front and center on the crosshairs by choosing to stay here. Have a nice day. Look at it this way. Can I see a couple maps, by the way, Daniel? Here's where they want to stay. We'll take that. Let's go to the other one first, if we could. Thank you. Okay, this is the Dead Sea. You can always, by the way, it's kind of easy to kind of identify the boundaries of Israel because down here is the Red Sea. This is the Mediterranean, and this is the Dead. So it's the Red, the Med, the Dead. So with that, here's the area. They are over here, and as they're over here, they're looking at Jericho, which is right here. As they're looking at Jericho, this is their area, and they're like, this is good, this is good. But look at this area here. Oh, look at how green it is. Oh, it looks, well, look at how it's not green here anymore. But they're like, it looks so good. But this is the land where they asked for them. Here's the problem. Go to the next. See, what they don't know is what the future holds. That's now our history. Go into the next slide, if you would, Daniel. This is the area. It's this little area here. Do you see that? The problem is what they don't know is that Assyria sits here, Babylon sits here, Media, Persia sits here, and every one of those are going to go this way to conquer. Which means, for Assyria to gain their ground, they're the first ones conquered. For Babylon to gain their ground, they're the first ones to be conquered. For Media, Persia to conquer, they're the first ones conquered. Because you are already halfway in the land that's not yours. And there's the problem. So when you compare them, that's what you're looking at. There's your land. And here's the thing, you know it. And you watch it like, you know what? Okay, I'm going to take, take a bit of Jesus, but I'm also going to take a bit of this. This is good. I know this is what God says about a godly relationship, but this dating site's still cute. I can pick and choose. But you know, in the end of it, if you're honest, you're going to go, you're going to way below, go way below what God says. And then you're like, then you're, you're pregnant or you got your disease or whatever, because that's what happens on this side of the Jordan. And so this is what Moses says. Back in Numbers 30, we talked about keeping our word. And he says, well, then keep your word. If you're really going to go to battle with these guys, then you better. Don't just tell me that and make me feel better about it. You need to know, and this is what it says in verse 23. Take note. If you don't do this, you'll sin against the Lord. Not against us. I may not find out, but I tell you this, your sin will find you out. Listen. We are promised in 1 Corinthians 4 or 5 that the Lord will bring to light the hidden things of darkness. But what if you hand everything to the Lord? then you have no place to hide. You have nothing to fear. In Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen, it tells us, He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them, well, they'll find mercy. But what does it say about a person who says that they have no sin? They make God a liar. Truth's not in him. That's not, that's not sin. Oh, the Bible says it is, but that doesn't mean it is. Really? So here's how the chapter ends. The chapter ends with these guys and they build their places. They make, they set up home on this side. Interesting places named things like wasting and ruins. 
And as they set up all of their places, now all of a sudden, and it's find it interesting, all of a sudden, did you notice by the end of it, we have a half-tribe of Manasseh in this? Where did they show up? They weren't in the original. Did you notice that? For, for 32 verses, there was no, we don't see that. And all of a sudden, they start showing up. And I get the idea here that these two tribes were already that influential. Now, it's interesting because these two tribes are both south side boys. But what's interesting is this tribe of Manasseh, which, remember, was supposed to be the firstborn, but they had to submit to their brother Ephraim. Ephraim winds up being the side that they're in. They're in, the, by the way, the south side, uh, or the, I'm sorry, the west side. And they are there under the banner of Ephraim. And I wonder if that was a problem for him. Please hear me. Somewhere down the line, these two tribes were influential enough that a half of a family splits. A family splits in half. Because half's like, you know what? Maybe they're right. We should stay here. What's interesting is we don't read about them being great shepherds here. We just read about these other guys that had livestock. These guys are like, you know, well, this is cool enough. I, well, if they're going to stay here, I want to, look, if they're going to stay here, why can't I stay here? If this is what they're going to do, then I, well, I might as well do it too. Why not? And that's what it says. So they build all of these places. By the time it's end, did you notice by the end of it all, and it looks just like the world, you've got a guy named Yair, and he names the place the village of Yair. You've got a guy named Noba, and he names the place Noba. And all of a sudden, notice now it's no longer about giving God any glory. It's no longer about, and you could get this, by the way, you could get this all in what's called ministry today as well. You're aware of that. It's like the, you know, it's the, you know, the Nathan Chin power hour, you know. And it's like, you know, and it's like, you get that stuff. It's no longer like, and it's like, listen, if the Lord wasn't there, would we know it? If he wasn't blessing it, would we know it? Because if we wouldn't, we shouldn't be doing this. Listen, last thing, we're going to pray. We're there now. The Lord has called us, every one of us, to follow Christ's example. And you need to understand that Jesus told us that necessary to follow him was to pick up our cross to follow him. And that's the part, by the way, that we actually avoid. The crossless Christianity. See, the cro- and I'm not talking about the cross that saves us. Because the cross that saves us, by the way, we're happy to take. Because who doesn't want someone to pay their bills? But the cross that we pick up that actually says, it's not going to be about me anymore. I'm not going to make this about me or my emotions and my entitlements and my this. I'm going to hand myself over to you and I'm going to be at your disposal. Now that, on the other hand, is a very unique kind of Christianity that God would call genuine. But that's exactly what Jesus did who came to earth as a man, died on a cross. He picked up his cross. And his cross wasn't to redeem him. He was already in perfect unity with the Father. That cross was to redeem us. And died on a cross for our sins, just like Scripture promised, was buried and on the third day rose again, just like Scripture promised, and was seen by a whole lot of people. And in all of that, he did all of that for you and for me so that we could be united with the Father so that we could actually have a relationship with God. And then after that, he says, look at my total surrender, my total submission to the Father, my total and abject total love for you. Now, if you're going to call yourself a Christian, you're supposed to look like me. Follow me. And you go, awesome. How are you going to bless me today? And Jesus goes, what part of that looks like me? It starts with us following, accepting the gift of Jesus. And then from that, Do we want to be the marketer that walks away sad because we've got so much to lose? So much, by the way, which you can't take with you anyways. 
Are we going to be the one that when we hear, follow me, that our heart skips a bit and goes, you want me to follow you? Want me, you want me to follow you? Okay, I'll follow you. Where? He goes, I'll show you. Okay. I don't know where, but I'll follow you. Will you pray with me? Lord, I thank you so much for this beautiful text. I thank you, Lord, for the way you've led us through it. And Lord, I know that even here in this room right now, there's pride at battle. There's selfishness at battle because those things have to get slayed to follow you right. There's a lack of trust. There's that part of us that thinks better reason says hedge our bets. And in all of that, right now in this room, your Holy Spirit's at work combating every bit of that. And we look and we think, this is the best we've ever known. From being a slave to this place, even the wilderness looks good. And then through the wilderness, we've made our way to a place where there's a little bit of green. And that green is like, oh, this is good enough for me. This is the best I've ever known. But Lord, put in our hearts the truth that just the best we've ever known doesn't mean it's the best you have for us. And that we'd have greater faith, Lord, than the now. And Lord, maybe if what you want us to, is to stay. And if we stay, Lord, may it be an act of faith. But not on this side of the Jordan. Lord, what you have for us is so much greater. So much greater. But Lord, I just want to be able to rest every night and know, Lord, that there's been nothing that's been off limits to you. Nothing, Lord, that you can't touch. And Lord, in that, that, that I'm not going to say, well, but I deserve a little of this and a little bit of sin and a little bit of spite and a little bit of anger and a little bit of this. But knowing that you call those things wrong, I don't want to do that. And I don't want to say, well, I'm hurt, so I have a right to do this. Or I'm confused, so I have a right to do this. <clears throat> or I'm a guy or a girl or it's this or I'm hungry or I'm tired or whatever. All the things we use to qualify sin. And in all of that, say, well, that's good enough. But Lord, I want to live so much on the other side of the Jordan. So that I can sleep every night, even if, you, even if today all I do is just sit and not hear a thing. I want to sit at your door until that bell rings. Until you call my name and say, let's go. Whatever that looks like. And Lord, I know right now there are going to be battles to be fought. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the boastful pride of life. They're in balance right now. They're being challenged. The ways of this world, the ways of a, of a, of a lazy Christian culture that says, this is good enough, but you know better. And either I'm going to follow what a culture dictates or I'm going to look at what your word says. And Lord, I pray that you would get, make us people of your word that are so surrendered, so submitted, that we're full of hope because we're following our commander. And it's not about us. So Lord, I pray that you would raise up an army of humble warriors that fight on their knees with their hands raised. I pray, Lord, right now for anything that we know does not line up. We're not just talking about not doing bad stuff or really bad stuff. But where we are predisposed to be the blessing and world changer you've called us to be. Forgive us, God, for when we've turned off 
one we've put do not disturb on our hearts and spirits. Where we've put ourselves in like airport mode, but still pretended like we were listening. And Lord, in that, I pray that on the other side of it, you would show us hints of the Jordan every day so we would hunger all the more to live there. And as we cross in faith with you, Lord, we would just be available. And watch how you turn everything we do into something eternal and eternally impacting. So, Lord, as we give ourselves to you, Lord, have your way, please. And in this room right now, you know who is and who isn't. But, Lord, if there be any who have yet to say yes to the gift of Jesus on the cross, by your Holy Spirit, speak to them right now. And if that's you right now, in this room, and you know you need to say yes to Jesus, you know today you've been living for you, and you recognize there is a cross in that walk with Christ. I'm going to pray this prayer. Listen, and at the end, respond with a confident amen. God, I've been living for me, not for you. I've been looking out for myself, and I've been trying to take care of myself. I've been trying to, to make myself make this happen, and it's not working. And I'm just getting by at best. And I'm tired of fighting. I'm tired of the battles that seem to have no real purpose other than just to survive now. And you tell me you have so much more. I, I need that more. Jesus, you really died for me on the cross so that all of my sins could be paid for, but so much more than that, so that I could have a relationship with you and follow you, be your love. Let you be my life and love and light. And today, you call me to greater glory, greater glory, greater surrender, greater hope, greater expectation. Jesus, as you died on the cross for my sins and rose again so that I could have that relationship with you as the Lord and leader of my life, then lead me away from who I was to a person that is always ready for you, whatever you have for us. I hand you the one thing you want. I hand you me, confessing Jesus as my Savior and Lord. Here I am, in Jesus' name. If you agree, I ask you to say, Amen. Lord, speak to our hearts as we walk out of here. Make us blessers of men. Make us available. May we practice being available to you even in this time now. Thank you for the privilege of being able to be in your word and let you do your work. Jesus, in your name. Amen.